Hello and welcome to the Power Switch, gaming's call-in talk radio show. My name is Peter Spasia, and today is April 22nd, 2017. This is the 23rd episode of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We use Discord as a means to add and drop callers to talk about video games and switch the power that is found in a typical gaming podcast. You can join our server to participate during recordings at rhymeswithasia.com call. Hope you've had a good week. Mine has been filled with, what else, Persona 5. Um, I think I said I was at like 42 hours, something like that, last week. This week I am at 77 hours into the game. And you're just like, well, that sounds like a lot. I mean, most people, I guess, did 100 hours when they uh, completed full playthroughs. I am on easy difficulty. Didn't really drop it to safe. I kind of wanted to keep the... A negotiation part of the game intact with all the different personas there. Uh, so where am I in the game? Uh, try to keep things spoiler-free. I'm on December 17th in the calendar, which is really close to the end of the game. Uh, I am at the, like, really just before the boss of the ship palace. So yeah, that's, that's, that's really late. It's not, you know, the end by any means, but we're, we're very close here to the end, and uh, I think with a couple... More prolonged playthroughs, I'll be uh, have that game beaten, and that's that's pretty crazy to think. I have a lot of thoughts about it. I wish I could spend a whole show talking about it, but we might have to do that for a spoiler cast. And speaking of spoiler cast, uh, I am still editing the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild spoiler cast. Hopefully that will be out this week, uh, still in the process of working through that. So hopefully we'll see that, and uh, within a week or two, we can get the Persona 5 one scheduled. That would be great to talk about, because I know we're getting people now starting to, to beat the game, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. Where does it stand up to other Persona games and, and the like? And it's got me thinking, as we get into our main topic for today's show, about the RPG franchises that shape us. And I kind of wanted to be a little more uh, personal sort of topic here today. I mean, there have been some news stories, and we'll save that for the end of the show here. Uh, and just kind of what is what is happening there in the industry. Because it was kind of a slow news week overall. So I kind of wanted to slow things down. Uh, kind of a, a chill, laid-back show today. Uh, kind of to talk about the different role-playing games uh, that have kind of helped shape me personally as a player. And then if you wanted to call in and talk about yours or, or really anything else, that would be, that'd be great when we get to the callers here. Uh, I wanted to start with Persona though. Uh, you know, I've talked about my favorite games already uh, on this show. And so some of these overlap uh, because, you know, role-playing games are, are a genre that I really identify a lot with and really enjoy and have kind of been part of the formulation of my experience as a game player. Uh, but Persona kind of hits all of the different check marks for me. It's, it's why I love that series so much. You have really the story involved with the characters are a huge part of that game. You got some good dungeon crawling, turn-based action, uh, a lot of elemental weaknesses and all that you see in a different uh, sort of franchise that we'll talk about a little bit more soon here. Uh, but it, it really just kind of hits everything there. And uh, when I talk about Persona 4 Golden as my favorite game of all time, and uh, you know Persona 5 is is going to compete for that spot. I mean, it's if not, you know, it's going to be just one or the other at this point. It's really having a great time with it. Um, but those games just kind of do so many things uh, that really appeal to me. And so uh, I, that's really kind of shaped 
my overall experience playing games. Uh, but I wouldn't be anywhere without the Pokemon series. And that's where it kind of hits on the, the fundamentals of turn-based role-playing games. When I was, you know, 10 years old and playing Pokemon Blue for the first time and learning about weaknesses and resistances and, and this type of things. And, uh, you know, when you think about role-playing games, I think it's it's an interesting sort of genre to kind of fit certain games into. Uh, the way I sort of see it, when you talk about what is an RPG, I would like to think levels are involved at some point. So when I see some people categorize The Legend of Zelda as an RPG, I, I wouldn't say that's the case. Uh, you're not really involving leveling up. Yeah, maybe certain items. You're, you have the next sort of level, I guess, there, the next more powerful sword or the next more powerful tunic or or things like that. But, you know, you're not really leveling up skills per se. I mean, yeah, maybe in something like Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, maybe that takes a little bit more RPG roots. Uh, but that would be, I think, more that's yeah, kind of falls in on the you know action adventure sort of game that's all so also very, you know, broad and, and hard to define overall. Uh, but I, yeah, I wouldn't consider Zelda's an RPG, but Pokemon to kind of really get me in games. That was the first game I owned was Pokemon Blue. And so that really kind of taught me, I guess, the fundamentals. When people say it's, you know, baby's first RPG, when you talk about going to Pokemon centers and healing for free, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a, a, a different sort of thing as compared to something like Final Fantasy. I remember uh, talking to one of my old podcast co-hosts who played Final Fantasy for years. And then when he tried Pokemon for the first time, uh, <laughs> he was called it like the Obamacare of uh of uh, you know role-playing games because yeah you're just healing for free you just go back and no consequences just you heal yeah you have items that you can heal while you're in the field but that that sort of structure i think it's a good role-playing game to learn off of and it kind of shapes uh, a lot of the experience overall when especially if you start that young but uh, i think that's an important franchise to me as well uh also i would consider mass effect uh, to be an important RPG. Now, this is kind of going into the the Western RPG as opposed to the Japanese role playing game. Um, with Mass Effect, and you're kind of mixing in your third person shooter action, uh, the over the shoulder, you know, using different powers, using guns. Uh, but with Bioware, it's also really about the characters. It's about the interaction there. It's about the overall story. Uh, people can say different things what they like about Mass Effect 3 and its ending, but those games, it's all about the journey. Uh, even with something like Mass Effect Andromeda, many different faults to that game, but overall, it's a, it's a fun journey with those characters, and like that's it's really what it's all about. And so, experiencing the Mass Effect games, uh, that's, that's really influential to me personally. Uh, also, Kingdom Hearts as well. Uh, it's another JRPG. When I haven't experienced as many Final Fantasy games as I'd like, I wouldn't put it in like my top five most influential RPG franchises, but you know there are many great games to it. But it's kind of interesting to have Disney mixed Final Fantasy with Kingdom Hearts and uh, kind of borrow a lot of the different elements of Final Fantasy with the skill names and, uh, and items. And you get a, a hack and slash gameplay that's you know totally different. You know the the live action sort of uh, role playing game as opposed to the very strict regulated turn based sort of structure there. Um, now with Kingdom Hearts, you're talking about a series that has a huge crazy lore. I mean, if you put like a, a top ten list of just most ridiculous canon chronologies and just the overall story structure, I mean. 
Kingdom Hearts has to be in the top three, at least. I mean, Metal Gear's up there. Maybe you could argue Halo. Uh, there are a lot of games that would go on that list, but Kingdom Hearts really kind of goes all into that narrative, even to the point of obscure, uh, you know, just really deep engrossing narratives that it's tough to explain at certain points. But you know, when you really get into it, it's it's very engaging uh, and uh, you know re- repetitive but rewarding gameplay as well. Uh, that's that's kind of influential. But you know, taking the Disney nostalgia from childhood as well and applying that to video games. I think that's also very effective. Uh, and then finally, Chrono Trigger. I only played Chrono Trigger about a year and a half ago or so is when I played and finished it for the first time. So I don't have the the nostalgia from my youth experience with it. But I think what is important with Chrono Trigger is uh, it kind of shows how RPGs were developed at a time like the Super Nintendo. And certainly you had RPGs even before then. I mean, you know, the original Final Fantasy on NES, even ones before then that are, you know, text-based. And you say something like Zork. Uh, But Chrono Trigger is important to me as far as, you know, influential RPG games and franchises uh, because it shows the effectiveness of, of good game design when there isn't as much technology to really push it forward it, it's it's so i mean it's was the dream project back then right with the the different creators uh, with toriyama with uh guy from dragon quest and just all these these great minds coming together to uh, just really bring something great to existence uh, so i guess if i had to say you know five rpg franchises that were really influential to me and shaped my gaming experience. I mean, Persona is right up there. Pokemon, Mass Effect, Kingdom Hearts, Chrono Trigger. Uh, you know, those those are important ones for me, but I'm sure you have plenty of others. There are tons of others I didn't touch on. I mean, I don't really go into MMOs, but you know, there's World of Warcraft that's out there. I know a lot of people love the Tales games. Uh, the Elder Scrolls is another, you know, a sort of Western RPG that's big there. And of course, you know, lots of people have deep roots to Final Fantasy. So uh, if we get callers, I'd love to hear some of those games and hear you talk about some of your memories associated with them. What's really, you know, shaped your gaming experiences. And I, I just love to hear those kind of stories. But that's what I have to say. When we come back, we will get to the callers. What do you think? Love to hear your thoughts, but you can also bring up whatever gaming topic you'd like to discuss, whether that's games you're playing recently, your your favorite games, or even something like the RPG franchises that have shaped you. And don't forget, you can also bring up what another caller had to say too. That's all when we come back here on the Power Switch. Welcome back to the Power Switch. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say here. Let's get to the callers. Maybe a slower show today. Uh, it's it's been one of those weeks that you know we're, we're either you know deep into games or just we're very busy. So anything we'll we'll take what we can get. And uh, looking forward to hear what you all have to say. Joining us from Alberta in Canada. Welcome to the Power Switch, Annika. How are you? I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you for calling in. What is on your mind today? Well, I've been playing this game called Night in the Woods lately on Steam. Mm -hmm. Just as a quick run over, it's an adventure indie game. I'm sort of hesitant to call it a mystery horror game because there's elements of mystery to it. But to the point where I'm at at the game, which is a little over halfway, 
they're kind of lighthearted about it, so it's not quite horror, but I hear from people it gets a bit darker later. It's a pretty simple game. It's very narrative-based. There's basic walk, jump, talk, and other commands to interact with the environment. Um, but it is very story-based, so you're just kind of playing along what the developers have written out and watching the story unfold. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, some people may not like that kind of linear sort of gameplay, but if you really want to be taken in by that kind of experience, I mean, I know I personally have no problem with kind of going along that path. You have that kind of interaction where you choose who you get to talk to. I mean, how much you know, interaction do you have with side characters or do you just, you know, power through and, and see uh, what's there? I mean, we've uh, heard Jeremy Baker, uh, Game Buddy, talk about Night in the Woods on the show as well. And he seemed to be really enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's maybe done multiple playthroughs even. Uh, but overall, I mean, what's your thoughts so far? It's a game I still have yet to get to. And so I'm curious to hear more people talk about what they think about the game. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'm a little over halfway through the game. Uh, so I don't know the entire experience yet. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. And on a very personal level, it's my game of the year. Although oh, awesome. I haven't yeah. really played many other games this year. Just it's uh, I've got a personal connection to it, so that really makes the whole game experience better. You play as May, an anthropomorphic cat, uh, who's just dropped out of college and has moved back home with her parents because of that. And so I can really connect to that because that's sort of where I'm at in my life right now. Um, I can't exactly call myself a college dropout because I did get an undergraduate degree, but I did quit my master's, so I still feel that sense of not necessarily failure, but just not accomplishing what I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then like a month ago, I moved back in with my mother, so I feel like I'm in a very similar position to the protagonist of the story. On the surface, this game, it's it looks like this very cutesy animal game. The art style is very soft and kind of happy. It uses brighter colors. But like when you play the game and look deeper into some of the dialogue and your interaction with characters, it deals with a lot of issues of mental illness and depression and even class struggles. So I think a lot of people today, you know, youth and young adults can definitely relate to some of the things that are brought up in this game. It is a linear story like you were mentioning, but there are some choices you can make. So I know someone else who played the game and basically you can go left or right on some screens and I tend to go both ways and just try to get everything I can out of each day. But my friend didn't go left at all, but still managed to you know play the game and finish it. And so it's, I don't know if that like drastically changed his experience or if he just didn't get the story elements from the other side of town. Hmm. Um, There are like small minor characters, just the people who live in the town that you can talk to every day. And they, they have like quirky little things to say, but it doesn't really affect your story. I think the only things that do affect your story are you've got a group of three or four friends and on given days, you can choose to hang out with one of them. So if you choose to hang out with one, then you get their story and you miss out on the other people's story. So there's a little bit of choice to it, but the end game, I believe, is the same regardless of the choices you make. It sounds really interesting in certain ways hearing when you're talking about it, and I'm, I'm making parallels in my mind to Persona 5, oddly enough. 
when you're talking about like a game that's really designed for today's youth for for today's you know millennial generation and you know that we we fall under uh, i think that's really important you know not only are you getting the people who have grown up with games being able to tell their story through development but uh, it's also important to, to touch on uh, those, uh, you know, the mental illness and, and things like that, like you discussed. Um, that's that's really really important to help you know games grow overall as a medium. And I'm really glad that people are finding connection with that. I think at the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of people uh, mentioning Night in the Woods up there. Mm-hmm. You know, if if not at the top, you know, near the top of their uh, their games of the year for 2017 and that's really awesome to see but persona 5 is kind of has a lot of parallels with you know the struggles of today's youth and feeling oppressed by society and feel like they can't go anywhere and then when you're talking about hanging out with your friends and you have those choices like yeah just just like that too so very different games overall i mean a, a big engrossing jrpg versus a linear story and i'm sure that as far as the uh, experience of the story that you know if you just you know power through it You'll still get, you know, what the developers want you to get out of it. But you know, if you keep exploring, I'd imagine, yeah, you get, you know, those little side stories, the little, you know, hidden nuggets of the different uh, NPCs. You know, both experiences for the game deliver, you know, the same overall message. But, you know, if you spend more time with it, and I think that's like most most games, you're going to get more out of it overall. Yeah. And Night in the Woods is a game that I can't see myself just powering through i can only play it for little bursts at a time just because it is so emotionally intense for me i know like in some other rpg games they allow you to customize the character you play as so it can look like you and you can make choices that kind of cater towards how you would do things whether it's dialogue choices or you know going one way or another in a game and this game however even though you just play as may as she's written you do get like some dialogue choices out of like two, but they're very similar and they ultimately end in the same way. Um, me personally, I feel like this game was like written for me. I feel like I am May, the main character, and she is me. And maybe I'll regret that because I haven't finished the game and maybe she turns out terribly. But from the start, I felt emotionally connected to her just by her situation and the way she talks and the way she interacts with her family, her friends. And as I've played more of this game, that emotional connection has only intensified. And for me, personally, I know this is a very unique experience, but I feel like I'm watching myself and my own life play out on the computer screen. Because it's just, it hits all of those things that are happening right now in my life, and it's, it's very parallel. And as you play, you slowly learn May isn't, like, the best person. And so when you recognize some of those features in yourself, like I do, it can be eye-opening and a bit intense. And so I have to like stop playing or else I get like really sad about it. And so that's why I only play this game in short bursts and I can't power through. But I think it's really special to find a game that resonates with you like that and where you feel like the character is you and you're playing out your life in a game, but someone else has written and developed that story. Wow, that's that's remarkable. I'm I'm really happy that you found that kind of experience because I don't think that happens for too many people. But I think that really shows I mean the power of games as a whole. I mean, I don't think you can necessarily find a movie that, you know, you're you're controlling the actions but yet the story is living, you know, those beats for you and you have that sense of control and agency. Uh, that's that's really awesome. I'm I'm really 
really glad that you're having that kind of experience with it. I mean, albeit, you know, it, it can be very overwhelming, as you mentioned, and it's it's the short burst sort of thing. And it's uh, it's good that, you know, the game's designed in a way that you, you feel like you want to keep going after those those segments and you're not, you know, forgetting elements of the story and things like that. Because you know, when you put down a game, sometimes it, it can be hard to pick it back up. Uh, but I think that really shows to you know the quality of the game design and the storytelling uh, that's really awesome I'm, I'm glad you're having that experience yeah and like there's a lot of the game that i do find is directly relevant in my life like her situation with moving home and dropping out and her issues with depression and her interactions with friends but there's a lot of things in the game that i don't personally connect with that a lot of other people may connect with i know that some of the characters have relationship issues and anger problems and they deal with deaths in their family and they're, a lot of the characters do feel like they're trapped in a small town and wish they could go off to college or other jobs, but they're stuck there. And so I think that there are elements in this game that a lot of people can connect to. I think just because there's so many of those that are bang on parallel with my life, that it just, that's the reason why I feel so strongly with this game. That's so awesome. And I, I think, you know, we've, again, it's the second time we mentioned on the show and if, if that sounds like your kind of game for those that are listening, I mean, it sounds like a very special one. Uh, so go check it out. Go check out Night in the Woods. Uh, you know, certainly we'll be hearing more about it throughout the year. It sounds like the more people that play it uh, to, to consider it for that, you know, game of the year, you know, sort of, uh, you know, end of the year sort of discussion. That's uh, sounds like a powerful indie game. Yeah, I definitely recommend it for people and. Even if they don't relate to some of those issues, it's, I still think it's a good story. And you can learn about someone going through those things if you are not going through those things yourself. And just on a kind of more shallow level, I guess, like the graphics are really nice and the music's good and the atmosphere is good. So it's a good game outside of the story as well. Terrific. Absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for calling in. And I, it sounds like you're out and about. So I, I also am flatter that it also shows the power of you know this kind of show like don't have to be locked down at your computer i mean wherever you are you can call into the show so i uh, really thank you for calling in annika uh where can people find you on the internet or anything you'd like to plug people really can't find me on the internet anymore i used to be on all the social medias and then i just just got rid of them all so you gotta find me i guess on the power switch discord server there you go rhymeswithasia.com slash call well, thank you so much. I mean, everyone go check out Night in the Woods. It's, I think it sounds like a game that I have to put next on my to playlist here right after Persona 5. But uh, really, thank you for sharing your experience. I hope you continue to enjoy the game. And uh, thanks so much for calling in. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed being here. And I'm glad I could be the one to make this podcast international. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. And joining us from Texas, Jesse, welcome back to the Power Switch. It's good to be back. Absolutely. Uh, what is on your mind today? What would you like to talk about? So after I beat Breath of the Wild, I didn't really have a, another new game to get to. So I'd heard Power Glove's cover of Craig theme because, you know, the band Power Glove was making a comeback. And that got me in the mood to start playing Metroid again. Oh, yes. So I decided that while I would wait for a new game to come out, I decided that in the meantime, I'd just go back through all the Metroids in canon order. So I started with Zero Mission, and now I'm on Prime. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I've I've seen Zero Mission be played. I had a Super Soul Harath, however you know him. He When he visited 
house one time. He, uh, it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to play this and burn through it really quickly. And then you have the special ending there, which is really neat to see. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've seen it played. Of course, you know, I've, I've played through the Metroid prime trilogy. Those are amazing games. Um, that's, that's really cool. Cause yeah, what Metroid were, we're hoping for an announcement, maybe at E3. It seems like it could be a good time to talk about something for Switch, but uh, it's cool that you're going back in canon order. I mean, I think it's just time. It's time for a new Metroid, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on Zero Mission? I mean, it's for those that don't know, it's it's the original Metroid, but kind of you know done in a fusion style on Game Boy Advance with some extra added you know sort of perks there. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one? Yeah, Metroid Zero Mission is the retelling of the original Metroid game using a very similar map with the freedom of Super Metroid and the speed of Metroid Fusion. I had forgotten just how tight this game feels. Like, I felt like I was doing parkour as I was playing it, even though I'm not even a speedrunner at all. And I would find myself just making like, hmm, I could get up there the slow way, or I could just jump off these walls and climb up there. And I missed that. I think it's time for a new Metroid game. I really do. Would you prefer a kind of 2D style Metroid game like that? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I know a lot of people want a Prime, and I wouldn't complain about getting a new one, though my personal favorite Metroid games are the Japanese ones. I got really excited for Other M doing a third-person perspective, and I think everyone is disappointed with Other M (laughs) in hindsight, but uh, I still don't want them to give up on the idea of doing a third-person Metroid game, because I think... I like the Prime games a lot, but my one problem with them is that they're very... When I think of Metroid, I think of the side-scrollers, and when I think of the side-scrollers, I think of games that are very fast. Mm -hmm. And Metroid Prime, again, I don't want to make it sound like I'm bagging on it, because it's an amazing game, but the one thing that makes me prefer the Japanese Metroid games is the fact that they're just faster. It doesn't feel as sluggish when I have to backtrack through those games. Mm Yeah, that's a good point. And then, yeah, for the Prime games, it yeah feels more floaty because of the first person's perspective. You're not entirely sure precisely where your jumps are going to land. Whereas, yeah, in the 2D, like you you see your arcs, you kind of know where that's going to end up. Uh, so I think that's a fair comparison. Uh, yeah, very different styles. I mean, Metroid Other M. I know it's very divisive for a lot of people. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of the story. Uh, there are certain things also like. Focus on you know the the green blood on the green grass like that could have been that was bullshit. <laughs> it was bullshit like that could have been that character Donald. without giving any spoilers doesn't even have green blood exactly if you watch, yeah you play through prime but yeah, I mean Nakamoto said that other M is kind of like a different perspective I tend to think of uh, other M as being something that is canon but told in retrospect so a few things are kind of just artistic license mm, yeah so that's an interesting way of looking at it but. The gameplay, yeah, I, I really like the gameplay. I mean, aside from the whole changing the Wii Remote position, I think that was just, you know, a sign of the times and their solution for kind of doing that. If that were like at a push of a button and you were just going back and forth between those perspectives, I think that would have been really cool. I mean, that was a game I, I, that was a game I 100%ed. Like, I don't 100% too many games, but like I 100%ed that game. And I enjoyed the gameplay. I enjoyed the, the secret hunting there. But yeah, the narrative... There's a lot left to be desired there. So, have you played any other Japanese Metroid games besides Other M? Uh, Super Metroid. I got through that. Great game. The great game. Yeah, I mean, th- that was another one where it was, uh, it was just last I year or the year before. And uh, yeah, really just appreciating that older Super Nintendo style of game that I did not grow up with. But 
appreciating those designs. Uh, yeah, I haven't done Fusion. I one time tried a little bit of the first Metroid, but that is it's notoriously hard. So I like I should play Zero Mission for sure. I'd say you know it, it's I mean, the Prime games and then Super Metroid and uh, and other M. Those are really the other the ones that I've played. I would strongly recommend playing uh, Zero Mission if you enjoyed the gameplay style of Other M, because I can tell that those games were made with the Game Boy Advance games in mind. Mm-hmm. And I know people love Fusion. Like that's that's another highly Fusion's respected good. one. Yeah, Fusion's good. It's just very linear, and that's a part of the same problem that uh, Other M has. It's linear, but it's still really fun to play. It still feels very tight. You can speed through it. If I had to recommend one, I would just say get Zero Mission. I'm pretty sure it's on the Wii U eShop, right? I think it recently did go up on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to keep my fingers crossed to see what happens with uh, Nintendo Switch because I think that would be that'd be an awesome game to play on Nintendo Switch through Virtual am, Console or whatever I, it means. I am so looking forward to Virtual Console on Switch. I need it. Mm-hmm. It has it has a ton of potential for sure, and I I yeah, I'm really anxious on, on that kind of announcement at something like E3 because yeah Zero Mission would be a great one to play I appreciate the recommendation uh, but I don't know if I could go back and fire up the Wii U just for that uh, but playing it on Switch sounds sublime right I actually just hooked up my Wii U again to play Metroid Prime Trilogy Oh yeah, but my yeah. TV now is HD and a different TV than the HD TV I was usually using was the Wii U so I forgot that when you put it in Wii mode, it gets a little laggy on this television. Oh, yeah. So now I've been playing through Metroid Prime with the gamepad sitting right in front of me <laughs> and me just hunched over a table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It works surprisingly well. It's a very low latency screen. Good. You just got to be careful with your back not to <laughs> be hunched yeah. over all that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that puts a cap on me. One thing I was thinking metroid though is that if they make another one i don't know if i'd want it to be like a 50 dollars game because one of the complaints i remember people had about other m was that it was short that's games about it takes about eight hours to play through it the first time i'd say yeah yeah i think to 100 percent, it was maybe gosh i want to say 12 13 something like that in, in hindsight yeah it could have been could have been longer uh but that's that's an interesting point i mean yeah would people have a problem with a Metroid game, the next Metroid release being a little more of a budget title. Yeah, I I think they'd be more just grateful that a new one exists. Uh, let it, you know, let it go with those expectations because the one thing that Nintendo always says is that, well, you know, Metroid doesn't really sell well enough to, you know, constantly make new ones. But if they kind of put a lower expectation one, not put so much money into development and all those resources and to have it be a, a more budget title to have that audience kind of be a little more drawn to it i'd be okay with that especially if it's more like you know the two and a half or 2d two and a half d style like that that'd be really interesting it's a a good idea it doesn't even have to feel like budget for the sake of being cheap it just in my mind metroid games take about should take about eight hours to beat on your first time and you should be able to go faster than that if you want yeah and get good so my ideal metroid game is something that would take about eight hours to beat and should have an appropriate cost for that so people don't end up being disappointed i would still be totally down for like another epic prime game although I'm, i'd miss uh pointer controls because 
Metroid Prime Trilogy is one of the best uses uses of the Wii controls, in my opinion. I'd agree with that. Yeah, it's you remember those old trailers where it's always. Dodging out of the way and you know shooting. I think it was still you know revolution at the time for for Nintendo. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's cool to see that kind of really come into play. Just like what Skyward Sword was kind of the the full realization yeah. of the Wii remote. Uh, yeah, trilogy is awesome. Like Skyward Sword and Metroid Prime trilogy are like the two games that I think just sort of validate the Wii remote as a true worthwhile gaming accessory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'd, I'd maybe throw in Wii Sports Resort in for a little more of the casual audience because that worked out surprisingly well as well. I mean, yeah, Wii Sports for the kind of proof of concept, but uh, when you had the Motion Plus and Sports Resort, like that added not only more games, but uh, just better accuracy there. So, yeah, that's I've been seeing different YouTube videos and all talking about Wii games and it. It makes me a little nostalgic, uh, but as far as uh, going back to Metroid here, so I mean, you're going going to go through the Prime games next, I'd imagine. Uh, I'm trying to remember the different. Here's my order. Yeah, tell me, tell me the order here. So I'm going in the canon order and assuming that all games are canon except for Metroid, which is canon, but Zero Mission is a more accurate retelling. Fair, fair, yeah. So I started with Zero Mission. Now I'm on Prime. Next game would be Metroid Prime Hunters, I believe. Oh my gosh, yeah, that game. Yeah, I mean, that was really fun at the time. Have like a Metroid game with a online shooter component. I've, I, my brother played that one. I never did. But what was Silex was the the one hunter that kind of stood out and people liked him. Silex is the most iconic one. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, he's I, another like suited bounty hunter. <laughs> I remember people wanting him for Brawl. Oh, man, good times. <laughs> it would have been nice, but, I mean, I think Dark Samus would be kind of more relevant. Speaking of Dark Samus, next one on the list is uh, Echoes, then Corruption. And I don't own this game, but I would consider buying it, but I think after Corruption would be Federation Force. Oh. And that's a spinoff. Yeah. I I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that would be actually worth getting or just be like, nah. To me, that's, like my evidence that Nintendo is not treating Metroid like a dead franchise or just very tone deaf. Mm. I think, you know, when Reggie says like, Oh, we, we know we hear the fans of Metroid. It's like, but, but then why do you even make that move? Like, yeah, that, that was perplexing, especially when it was shown as what the battle ball or whatever it was during that, uh, the Nintendo world championships. (laughs) Oh man. It's the Banjo Kazooie nuts and bolts conundrum. Like, you know your fans want a new game. Why'd you make this game that's not it? I think that's an eerily fitting parallel. So after that would be when it gets back to the Japanese games, and the next one in canon would be Metroid 2 Return of Samus. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to play AM2R yet. I'll probably play that afterwards. Mainly because Metroid 2, not counting uh, Federation Force, is the one Metroid game I haven't actually beaten yet. I'd like to actually beat that one before I play AM2R. Yeah, I think that would present some sort of new challenge on Game Boy there. Yeah, I've played through a little bit of it. I just got sidetracked when I first played it and wound up not finishing it. And so I'll probably be able to beat it. It is an interesting game with an interesting atmosphere. And Samus is huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Samus is pretty big. You kind of feel like it would be better if they just went with the blocky sprites, like how uh, Super Mario Land has really tiny sprites. 
That probably would have worked out a lot better. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, after that would be Super Metroid, which is my favorite. Not just my favorite Metroid game, but my favorite game of all time. Oh, nice. Very cool. Although I recognize that it's a little clunky, compared, especially when you have Zero Mission, which is so polished. I know. I mean, it's still pretty darn awesome. Like, I, I really enjoyed my time with it for a first experience a couple of years ago. And uh, that, yeah, that like, really shows its quality. In my mind, the clunkiness of Super Metroid does not invalidate just how important that game was at its time. All the things that make Metroid Prime great, a lot of that would not be there without Super Metroid. No, definitely. Definitely. I, that's, that was, I mean, I can't say I was really tuned into games at the time, but it's one of those seminal Super Nintendo games. It's, you know, it's up there when people say it's, you know, one of the best games of the era, era you know, maybe all time. Uh, that's no, it's, it's, that's really important. And then what is then fusion and other M like, where do those fall after that? Other M takes place like between super and fusion. Mm. I think it takes place directly after super Metroid. That sounds right. Cause there's the baby. But I know it definitely, <laughs> it opens right after super Metroid. That's for sure. Yes, because yeah. it's uh Samus being in the recovery room after the fight with mother brain. Mm-hmm. If they make another game like it, I probably wouldn't like Other M as much, but because it's the only game that really feels like a 3D classic Metroid, not to say that Prime isn't like an amazing example of converting a game from 2D to 3D, but since the only game that has like the speed of the old Metroid games in 3D, I really want that experience from something, and Other M is kind of the only place I can get that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I'll play through it and see how it's aged in my mind. And then the last one in canon is Metroid 4, Metroid Fusion. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's, uh, that's um, quite a list of games, so I, it's good that you're going through them. I mean, I, I, gosh, I think between just new games and things that I, I miss, like, I definitely want to go play Night of the Woods now that uh, now that Annika talked about it and we had rec- Jeremy's recommendation and heard such good things about that. I actually still have uh, Near Automata, sitting from uh from gamefly but persona 5 hit it just a really bad time for that so uh, a lot of good games to play for sure and then i gosh saw my gaming resolutions that we talked about on this show so i, I wish i could you know go and just you know play through a, a franchise like that that sounds like a really cool project and uh, I'm, I'm glad it's you know hitting you at the right time like that yeah metroid fusion ends in a spot that i feel is really rich for sequel potential and I guess it's just been kind of like circumstance. They haven't done a Metroid 5 yet. But by the end of Metroid Fusion, Samus has kind of uh, gone rogue against the Galactic Federation. Part of uh, Metroid Fusion is that Samus has made part Metroid in order to be able to eat the X-Parasites. And I've always wondered if there might be like any other sort of uh, latent abilities that might come out Mm. as a result of that. And I just think that might be an interesting game mechanic if they did something like that. Yeah, that sounds like it's it's ripe for sequel potential. I hope Nintendo's listening, and uh, I hope we get some news at E3 for sure. Well, Jesse, thank you for calling in. Really appreciate the time. People can find you here. Talk to you on the uh, yep. the rhymeswithasia.com slash call Discord server for the Power Switch. Hope you have a great rest of the weekend. Keep on playing those Metroid games. Really, thank you for calling in. That's, that's great. great insight. Thank you, and I will. All right, thank you for calling in. When we come back, we'll talk about some things to think about with some of the headlines in this week's gaming news. You don't want to miss it. That's all when we come back here on The Power Switch.
Welcome back to the Power Switch. This week's tempo control music is brought to you by Mario Kart 8. You can find a new video game music top 10 list from a specific game soundtrack every Tuesday over at youtube.com slash rhymes with Asia. Now let's get into some things to think about regarding the video game industry news from the past week. We have a few headlines here. First of all, Eurogamer reporting that Nintendo will be manufacturing an SNES classic for this holiday season according to sources close to the company. Uh, Some things to think about here. First of all, this comes off of the news last week that NES Classic has been discontinued. Uh, We talked about last time that, you know, maybe the timing would have worked out a little better if, you know, they talked about Nintendo Switch Virtual Console plans. First talk about how they're going to satisfy playing older games on the go anywhere as opposed to making this, you know, shortage just kind of manufactured hit just for the holiday season. I don't know if too many people are wanting to buy NES Classic now, but I've been seeing a lot of interesting demand for SNES Classic. Maybe it's because more people have some more attachment to that era of games, and there are some great Super Nintendo uh, games. And we were talking about Super Metroid just there with Jesse, and uh, you know that's just one of them. I mean, you've seen different articles of people saying, oh, these are the 30 games I want to see from Super Nintendo on an SNES Classic. Uh, of course, this is still... And, you know, rumor, report, nothing confirmed. Uh, But we were talking last week about, you know, there is the interest there. uh, And it would make sense for Nintendo to kind of make that extra holiday money. But you got to think, something to think about is they have to push Nintendo Switch first. I mean, these, you know, classic sort of machines. And then, gosh, you have people already saying, well, an N64 classic. I'd love to play this, this, this. You got to think of the the long-term business, not the... Flash in the pan, holiday special, going to drop it like it's hot five months after. You can't be doing that. You got to think of the long-term business, how you're going to you know, establish these relationships for games to be on your digital storefront, to for people to play games wherever. That's the real draw, I think. So if we don't see anything at E3 for Virtual Console on Nintendo Switch, uh, that may be rather telling about uh, you know Nintendo's use of nostalgia, use of old IP, uh, use of just you know, these past systems games, uh, and that would be troubling. So that is something to think about of reports of an SNES Classic for this holiday, but what about Switch Virtual Console? Also, Activision confirms that the next Call of Duty game will indeed be World War II, Call of Duty WWII, World War II there. Uh, The official reveal will be Wednesday, April 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So, you know, as of this recording, not yet. Uh, But it's kind of the the dirty, you know, not well-kept secret in the industry that Call of Duty was going to go back to World War II. I mean, we were seeing... Uh, you know, different retailer posters and things leak. And just the talk was that they're going to go back there. And it kind of makes sense. Call of Duty has been pushing uh, the the future tech, the future game. We're going into space and we're pushing things so far, making up, you know, different sort of technology of first person shooters. And then you see Battlefield go back to World War One with such success. And I think that was, you know, just the storytelling was really effective there. Uh, So something to think about is how people will respond to this going back to World War II. Uh, Infinite Warfare, it sold okay for most game standards, but you know, Call of Duty is kind of on the decline there. I mean, if anything, Infinite Warfare sold for that 
Modern Warfare Remastered uh, sort of itched. People wanted to get back into that excellent first-person shooter. And it's really fascinating that, if you think about it, I mean, the whole talk was, you know, oh, Activision, I'm sure a few months down the line, they'll make that as a $20 separate release, and they haven't done that. I think that's rather remarkable. They're kind of sticking to their guns about that. That hasn't been done. Uh, but for people to say that, you know, Call of Duty is going back to World War II, you're kind of seeing a mix there. Maybe some people have gotten really attached to those games, but I definitely know of some people, you know, some industry insiders and people are saying that, yep, I'm going to buy Call of Duty this year because they want it to go back to World War II. And when it hasn't really done that since, well, World at War with Treyarch, and that was 2008, I want to say, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. So I think it's the appropriate time for that to go back. But uh, something to think about is, will this, you know, kind of reverse the fortunes or does Call of Duty continue to be, you know, a strong seller overall, but is it continue a slow decline or will there be a boost of interest because of going back to World War II? And after all, in, the, in today's political climate, I think some people may be in the mood for, you know, killing Nazis once again. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. And finally, uh, Atlas has registered different domain names. And while I'm on this big Persona 5 itch and, you know, just thinking about Persona and the RPGs that have shaped me, uh, it's it's interesting to see these different internet domains be registered as just kind of ideas for possible sequels, kind of laying the groundwork for different trademarks and things like that of where the company could go after Persona 5. Because Persona 4 had tons of spinoffs. You had Arena, you had Arena Ultimax, you had Dancing All Night, you had Golden, which was kind of an enhanced version of Persona 4. So like that's where that series really kind of took the big gaming mainstream there. And it'll be interesting to see with Persona 5 and its success. I mean, it's doing great with sales. Uh, to see over the years, will it do something similar? Is Arc System Works already having a hand at creating another fighting game, but with Persona 5 characters? Does it stay canon? Uh, are we even going to get another dancing game? Well, different domain names suggest there's there's P5D, P5U, P5AG, P3D, and PQ2. So kind of gives some interesting ideas of just possibilities. Some things to think about is what could happen, uh, what is feasible to happen, but this is, it's not confirming anything for sure, but it, it lays the groundwork, gives Atlas some flexibility, some options. I mean, P5D could be another dancing game. P5U could possibly be that, you know, fighting game sort of sequel. Uh, P5R is, is like, are we going to get in, in cars? Are we going to have Persona 5 racing? Who knows? Uh, some people are making jokes about, you know, Featherman R, which is like kind of like the, the Super Sentai sort of in-universe sort of game. That'd be interesting. P5AG, maybe that's something like an expanded version of it. I uh, don't know what AG would necessarily mean, but interesting to see P3 thrown in there. Like, is this going to be like a, an HD version of Persona 3, maybe Persona 3 Diamond, something like that? Uh, that would be really cool to get that game on like a PS4. I mean, that'd be fascinating. And you know, uh, Persona Q2, <laughs> If that's a if that's a sequel to the 3DS games, but now we're adding a third group of characters to people complain about oh, the flanderization of characters to have the the essence of their characters really broken down into just the simplest terms and just you really just embellished uh, for almost comedic effect. Uh, so really interesting to think of where the Persona series could go. I think uh, people are still really digging through Persona Five at the moment. 
as am I. Uh, but it'll be interesting to kind of see the afterglow of that game. Just like, you know, a lot of the big games this year, it's really interesting to see where kind of people sit with the game sort of after uh, it finishes. And where does it go next? I mean, we talked with Legend of Zelda and, you know, how will that game kind of be treated over time? And where do where do we go with that? Where does that series go? Uh, it'll be the same with Persona. Uh, just to keep these in mind and maybe, you know, on, in the future we'll look back on this and say, ah, that's where they kind of laid the groundwork for this possible Persona sequel. So just some things to think about on an overall slow gaming news week, but some, some pretty notable headlines with a, an SNES classic uh, report. We've got the new Call of Duty reveal this week for World War II and a whole bunch of uh, little Persona rumors, just possibilities abound. And that'll do it for this episode of The Power Switch. We are hosted by RhymesWithAsia.com and we're on YouTube and Twitch at RhymesWithAsia. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Power Switch. And you can email us any questions, concerns, comments, or opportunities at PowerSwitchPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Power Switch on podcast services such as iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And if you could be so kind as to leave a review, that would really help as well. Most importantly, to participate in future episodes, you should join our community on Discord by visiting RhymesWithAsia.com slash call. Now, it's a small but growing community, and in these early months of the show, it'll be easier than ever to have your voice heard on this podcast. If there was a YouTube video that I could recommend, uh, you know, Family Jewels, or Family Jewels 7X as it used to go by, a really talented musician, uh, guitar player, bass player, drums, like, puts these, you know, kind of heavy metal rock arrangements together. I'm, I'm really on that Persona 5 kick, and he just did a cover. I mean, he does great covers, some top 10 lists of you know different game music. So if you're a big video game music fan, go check him out. But he did a cover of Life Will Change from Persona 5, and that's the, the, the big hype song when you're kind of delivering the coup de grace in these, these certain palaces here. So uh, really exciting to hear that kind of cover. Done a really, really great job. Uh, so check out Family Jewels and that song in particular, but overall his channel. So yeah, Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. We're sticking to it, you know, whether we get a couple of people tuning in or, or even more. Uh, we also got to line up some more guests. Got to really get back to that. But it's been it's been a weird week. Uh, just really wanted to keep keep podcasting, keep talking about games, keep talking to you all. And uh, I really appreciate it. So thank you for all for calling in. Uh, it's really, really a delight to it's like talk amongst friends, but also give you the the avenue in a way to talk about whatever is on your mind with games and hopefully we'll uh we'll get some some big gaming news happening uh you know it's it's kind of a slow week for that but uh you know less than two months away from e3 a month and a half almost at this point really to be honest uh i gotta start developing some yes or no questions because i did that in podcast past and that's a whole lot of fun so got to start thinking about that and what are some of the possibilities that will happen so that'll be a lot of fun and until then i got to finish persona 5 i'm i'm pretty close uh, a couple more play sessions and i'll i'll have that in the bag and we'll schedule a, a spoiler cast in the near future so stay tuned to our discord channel as that develops regardless whether it's live or on your own time i look forward to you joining us for our next episode with that i'm peter spasia until next time switch up call in game on <laughs>